Hey, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. On today's episode, we have my homegirl, Naomi Mwangi, who was in town visiting from Kenya. And she comes to town once or twice a year. She's always doing something to work on herself, to develop herself, to learn how to serve more effectively. And she had two big events or two or three events happening here in California. And she decided to come hang with us for a while. And she made time in between some of those events to come and sit down so we could we could record a conversation for the show. She is someone who has survived unspeakable violence. And, you know, as a person who grew up with a lot of violence around, she saw some stuff that was crazy. I mean, she had to experience some things that are just outrageous. But Naomi, in response to that violence, has dedicated her life to serving others, which makes her just so special. And I think you guys are going to love her. So let's jump right in. Here it is. Naomi Imwangi. Keep talking? Yeah, keep talking. Oh, singing. Oh, sing something for me. <laughs> Go ahead, sing something for me. Baby, lock the door and turn the lights down low. Mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Do you sing, you dance, you do all kind of stuff? Yeah, I sing, I dance. And I do all kind of things. Yeah. You should come to Kenya. It's it's crazy out there. I can't wait to get to Kenya. I got Kenya you. Kenya is the best place to be. Is it? Yeah. I got you out there. I got my homie Nate out there. You see, you have so many people in Kenya. I know. Shout out to Nate Kateggy. <laughs> I got to get down there for sure. Yeah. Well, welcome back to LA. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. You come every year now. Mm-hmm. Is every. it just? Is it once a year? Yeah, once a year. Okay, and you're on your way. You just finished up with a vision quest. Mm-hmm, I did the vision quest for it was a two week vision quest. Okay, it's called, so actually it's called the Wilderness Rites of Passage. Okay, that's the real title. Yeah, the Wilderness Rites of Passage. Yeah. Okay, so this is the second time you've done. Well, it's the second time I've been aware that you did it. Mm-hmm. Have you done it before as well? Yeah, last year I did it as a participant. I was just you know attending it, and this year I came back as a youth guide. Okay. I was guiding the young people to go out for three days. Okay, so tell me, yeah, for, tell me about the experience when you went through it. What was this vision guide about? Vision quest. What's the actual title again? You said it just a second ago. <laughs> Youth uh, Wilderness Rites of Passage. Youth Wilderness Rites of Passage. Okay, mm-hmm. tell me about this experience. So I'll tell you about the experience from last year. Um, my first time attending it and being part of it. I met a friend of mine, her name is Siri, and she. I met her in Ojai when I attended the Ways of Council at the Ojai Foundation. And during that moment, I was going through a lot of kind of thinking and wanting to know what I should do with my organization and the people that I'm working with. And, um, and my friends, Justice and Aline, I don't know if you know them, but they have been... I know Justice, yes. <laughs> yeah. So we decided to start an organization called the African Dream Movement. And it has been bumpy and there have been so many things happening around that. Really? And yeah, and so I was I was caught in between thinking of, should I really continue working with these two amazing people or should I step back or I didn't find myself like having a role or fitting in in that. And I had like a new job in Kenya and things were unfolding and my life was becoming kind of great in Kenya and doing the things I love and working with the young women and stuff like that. Um, 
Yeah, so I was confused. I didn't know what I needed to do. And I also wanted to continue bringing the work of the summit back in Kenya and all over Africa. So I talked to Siri and we were just talking about my visions and all that. And she told me, you should come to the Wilderness Rites of Passage. It's um, it's a place where you can be with yourself for three days without food and out there in the wilderness. And maybe something will show up when you think about your vision and what you want to do in life, you know, yeah. and marking... Um, it's basically marking the end of something and marking the beginning of something new. So I told her, yeah, I'd love to try it. But the idea of fasting for three days, I wasn't up for that. (laughs) And that made me go back into a few years ago when we had to stay for a week, you know, without food and things like that during the violence in Kenya that happened. Mm -hmm. And so I told her I would love to come and do the wilderness quest, but... I'm not sure about fasting. So she yeah. told me, well, just sign up for it and then we'll guide you through it. Okay. So I did. I signed up and they organized, uh, of, you know, my air tickets and things like that. And so I went last year to, it's the same place, Big Pine in California. Um, and it has like an ancient history about the Inyo Mountains where the Bristol cone trees grow and how the Paiyu people lived there and stuff like that. So when we went there, it was it was dry and hot and I wasn't even sure what I was doing. I was like, why am I coming to fast in the United States for the first time and stuff like that. But during the process, they guide us through. We were eight of us, eight of us young people from different places. Um, um, I was from Kenya. There's one from South Africa and then the rest were from like the U.S. and... Uh, Mexico and stuff like that. So I attended the vision quest and the first few days, the first four days, it was all about settling in and knowing the place and walking around, hiking around to see the place and guiding, they were guiding us on some of the intentions that we had. We had to write intentions of why are we Mm. here and why are we doing the vision quest and what is the main thing that is driving us to do that. Yeah. So it was it was a journey for me to find my intention of why am I even fasting in the world and I could do it in Kenya. Right, right. <laughs> and so I slowly by slowly I kind of got my intention and my intention was to um you know slow down and not think beyond my my capabilities and you know and trying to make things work so fast, like my visions are so big and I want them to happen so quickly. So I was taking time to pause and just do things as they come slowly by slowly. Um, And my other intention was to also go through a healing moment with my father because he, we we were not in a good relationship at all. Mm. And yeah, and I was having a hard time having conversations with him. So I took that time to fast for three days and try and figure out how am I going to have a authentic conversation with him and just tell him how I feel and the the anger and all that. Yeah. So those are the two intentions I went with last year. Okay. And um, when, when the time came for us to go and look for a spot, so where we, we camp for the first few days before going out for the three days by ourselves it's a different area with where we go and fast. Okay, so they set you up. They get you comfortable with one spot. Yeah. But then when it's time to fast, you go to a completely strange spot. Strange too. spot. Okay. Yeah. 
So that was another new thing again. And you have to go, they give you like, you can go as far as you want to like 30 minutes away from the base camp, but not more than an hour. And because when you get so angry, so hungry and then you come back, an hour walk will be too much. Yeah. So you need to, you know, think about that after three days and stuff like that. So what I did, I didn't go far from the base camp when I was going to fast. Okay. I went just a few minutes, like 15 minutes away. Okay. <laughs> but you couldn't like see it and you couldn't smell them cooking food. I couldn't, okay. I couldn't see I couldn't see anyone. I couldn't, yeah. But it was it was down near kind of a valley. Okay. I found a very nice spot near the shade and there was in between trees. So I did went then set up my tarp and my sleeping bag and sleeping pad. So your tarp. Mm-hmm. So you just yes, had I, a tarp yeah. and a sleeping bag yeah. in the woods mm-hmm. by a valley. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know, it made it look like a nice homestead for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, and... I I I went I stayed there for three days. The second day it was very hard. The first day was like I was fine, you know. I was I wasn't that hungry and it was good. And I was trying to keep myself busy because three days by yourself you have nothing like I have nothing important to do, just sitting there sleeping all yeah. the time, most of the time. But they gave us a few ideas of what we can do when we're out there. Okay. Um, a few things to work on. Like my intentions of me wanting to have a good relationship with my father and also taking a pause of the visions that I want to and asking what is really needed right now and what mm. do I really need to do right now yeah. and things like that. So I I did something called the Death Lodge. Death Lodge? Mm-hmm. Okay, what's the Death Lodge? So the Death Lodge is you draw a, a circle and then you lie inside the circle and that... That type of exercise is usually done during the second day or the third day when you're so hungry and you feel like you're going to die. Okay. And then lying down there, you start calling in people who you feel like you want to have a good relationship with before you go to the next stage of life, maybe death. Okay. You know, or coming back to, you know, reclaiming yourself and something like that. Do you remember who you called in? I called my dad all the time and okay. I called all my ex-boyfriends. Really? It was all men. <laughs> it was all men. All of your bad relationships were with men. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. That was uh, that was hard. I I remember crying a lot and calling all these people and blaming them and mm. talking about all the things and the anger that I wanted to let out, you know. Yeah. And and when I did that at the end I was like I'm I'm so ready to die. Like I'm so hungry and I'm so tired and tired of life. And then and then this um how do you call it? It's it's a type of a bird. Um a hawk came mm-hmm. flying. And when I was doing it and I was lying down and just looking up and calling all these people and crying and a hawk came flying in and it kept circling where I was and seeing the hawk I was like maybe it's sending, you know, good ancestral peace within yeah, myself yeah, yeah. and i started just seeing the beauty of the things that are surrounding me and i started feeling as if there is the more i released all the anger the more i you know had my heart felt lighter you know and i wasn't feeling feeling sad at all so i i did that and at the end i went and did it and wrote stuff down and i wrote letters to the people that I wanted to reconcile oh, with, wow. my father being the first person. Okay. 
and you know my ex-boyfriend for blaming me and you know all these sorts of things and so after doing that writing letters i did put them away and said i would send it to them when i get back home okay did you actually do that yeah i did oh that. wow yeah and after that um yeah i slept most of the time <laughs> and then the third day that was the hardest day for me i was so tired and i was so weak i couldn't even stand my my legs were shaking when i stood and yeah it was it was terrible and then i felt like i should go back to the base camp and then i also thought maybe i'll be the only one going back maybe no one else went back yeah like you're the <laughs> so, quitter <laughs> yeah so i didn't want to you know feel as if i'm you know quitting or something yeah so i stayed i stayed yeah. what was the hardest part the not eating the being alone the being in the wilderness what was the hardest part of spending three days there for me the hardest part was not eating and it reminded me it took me like like 10 steps back of the past and so many things showed up you know oh emotionally emotionally not eating triggered mm-hmm. memories Memory. of a different time yeah okay. and the dark too it was so dark at night and i was that was it was very hard. like i don't like being in the dark and so mm. it was so hard sometimes at night i wouldn't sleep i'd just sit and start looking the farthest distance and seeing if anyone is coming or if there's any animal like the mountain lions are coming yeah yeah if there are rattlesnakes out here things rattling and i didn't kind of figure out if it's a snake or if it's a it's just a bug that sounds like a snake yeah so yeah it that was those are the two main things that so you're kind of nervous and scared the whole time (laughs) like what is going on i'm in the dark everything is dark there's no way you don't have anything on you can't do a, you can't make a fire or anything you can make a fire because it's so dry and so you, you know oh you it, can't do it you, you can might yeah you might the whole place on fire yeah but we oh. had flashlights and you know you can't use it all the time because you also want to save your batteries for oh yeah the other nights um wow yeah <laughs> so that's was that was hard okay so three days you're at the end you know it's time you've you've made it past the night you get up do you like rush back is that the first thing you do <laughs> okay the first thing that after the three days in the the next morning i was so ready i couldn't even wait for the sunrise to you know like fully yeah, yeah. show up i just packed all my things and i wanted to get done with it and i went down and then i was the last person who got there really so everyone got there earlier than i did okay <laughs> and they were almost you know coming to look for me because i thought i was going to be the first one because i woke up and i wanted to just get done with it but yeah there are some of my other friends who showed up uh earlier than me and and all the time we're just thinking of food like food oh, yeah, yeah. food you know yeah and they made us a huge meal and so i was just like, eating eating everything you know like you just want to grab any everything and that also makes made made our stomachs hurt because we were taking things right. you know fast and stuff well so you you had two intentions though so the first one with your dad mm-hmm. did you feel as though the letter was enough like you had you had gotten to a place of being able to say the things to him that you hadn't said did it, did that feel complete but in that three days like okay i did what i need to do about my dad it felt a working process you know okay it was i was i didn't feel like i'm fully fully done i had to like have a real conversation with him right right so after that i told myself i need to go back home send the letter when he reads it and if he starts a conversation or not i will definitely do that okay and so i i went back home and i stayed a week before going to see my parents and so after the week of settling in and just reflecting on all the things that i did 
I went home and we had a conversation and the relationship turned around. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, the other intention, thinking other about your vision thing. for what you want to do mm-hmm. in Kenya, or was it in Africa in general? It was in Africa in general. Okay. Um, well, first of all, what was the vision before you went in to this three-day experience? And then how did it change? What, what kind of changed for you? So my vision was to, I'm, I'm so passionate about working with young people. And the thing that has been bothering me is also me, the relationship with all the men around me. It has been very hard for me to work closely with men. And so I, I wanted the vision of what I do to be with women, you know, mm. and working with women and seeing how through women, maybe I can heal my relationship with men around yeah. me. And I have an organization that I started. It's called Ubuntu Voices. And Ubuntu is a, is a word that means community. And it's the philosophy is you are because I am, I am because you are. And the community we are, it's I am because we are and stuff like that. And so I decided to work with community and bringing all these voices together. So I said, I'll call it Ubuntu Voices, you know, voices of the communities being heard, being shared and taken into action. Um, and I wanted to combine the Global Youth Peace Summit, which I have been part of it a few years um I think since 2012. And I wanted it to continue spreading in Africa. And that's how I got to work with Justice and Aline, uh, my two amazing friends from South Africa and Rwanda. And working with them, it has been hard because they're in different countries. We are in different countries and doing calls, we are sometimes busy and it's it's just so hard. So my vision of that was to see how I can still do the summits in Kenya. The summits can still happen in South Africa and Rwanda. And we don't have to move around in each country, but we can find the team in our countries that we can work with. Mm. And it reached at a point where I was like feeling as if it, it, it seems like I'm getting out of the group, like saying I want to do my own things and I'm not going to be with you guys anymore. And I brought up the conversation to them and they felt as if I am kind of breaking up with a with a group you yeah know? yeah and for me i wasn't thinking of breaking up with the group i was just thinking of how we can put african dream movement out there but share what we do in our own countries and still african dream movements keeps going and yeah. you know we can if we need funds we can still come back to african dream movements work together share how we can raise funds and stuff like that but your specific vision was changing a little bit. Yeah. And you wanted to do something that was more specific to you and how you're made up. Mm-hmm. And they saw it as like breaking yeah, up Destiny's Child. Up. You're trying to be Beyonce. Yeah. Okay, I got you. <laughs> and so, yeah. So the, I went, I wanted to just really check in with myself out there in the wilderness. Like, what do I really want? Does it serve me? Does it, does it serve the community? And am I doing it from a place of my heart or I'm just overthinking on my head? And the vision came clear to me when I was out there in the three days. I felt my heart is moved to work with these young women in Kenya. And I wasn't feeling as if I really needed to collaborate with anyone else to make my Mm. dream happen, you know? Okay. And so I went back home feeling, yeah, I want to work with young women and I want to continue doing the Ubuntu voices that I am doing. And... I st- I'm doing it right now. Like it's, it's happening. That's what you ended up doing. Yeah, you I'm followed walking. your heart towards that. Yeah. So you keep talking about service and 
I kind of want to, because you're really young and you started at the summit. You, you mentioned the summit. We got to talk about what that is. We owe our knowing each other to the summit. Yeah. And I want to just understand. You come to, you fly to the U.S. to do work on yourself on a regular basis, to be involved in great works. I want to know what the origin of that is, because everyone your age is not thinking about that. They're not traveling to different contents to better themselves and to go deep into themselves. Yeah. Where did all this come from? What's the backstory? How did you arrive here doing all this work? Hmm. That's a good question. I usually feel like my past, my um, the things that I've been through are the things that have made me be who I am and why I'm here. Yeah. And I think this started in uh, 2007 to 2008. How old were you then? Um... I don't know, maybe 10. Okay, so you're 10 years old, 2007. Yeah. Where are you living at that point? Um, We have been moving up and down. We were living we were living in uh, uh, the eastern, western side of Kenya. Okay. Called Kisumu. And that's not where my tribal community lives. It's a different tribal community. What is your tribal community? Kikoyo. Kikoyo. Yeah, and I was living in a... In a Luo community. They Luo. are called the Luo, yeah. Okay. And so, and I don't know my tribal language as well as I know the Luo language. So, I'm kind of also learning my tribal language. Okay. So, we lived there and then the tribal conflict happened. And through the political leaders who were, you know, giving money to young people to go and kill one another and burn houses and stuff like that. And you're 10 years old and this mm -hmm. is starting to happen. Yeah. When you say they're giving money to young people, how young? Um... I don't know, from the age of 16, I think. Okay. Yeah, 16 to 18. So not age. quite your friends. No. It wasn't like you were yeah. seeing your friends go out and do these mm -hmm. things. Okay, but mm -hmm. you're younger, you're looking up at these 16-year-olds, and they're going out and killing people. Killing people. From yeah. the other tribes. From the other tribes. And you're living with a tribe that's not really your own. Yeah. And folks around you are going and killing folks from your actual tribe. Yeah. And so we had to move because we were scared of our life. My parents were scared because my mom is from Uganda. She she didn't, no one had a problem with her because Ugandans, you know, they're not part of Kenya then yeah. in a different country. So they, my mom didn't have a problem living there. But my dad, she he's from the Kikuyu tribe. So my, my dad, friends who are good friends told him to move from there because you never know what might happen. And so we decided to move from, the western side of Kenya, and we went to a place called Eldoret, which I don't know what part of. Um, I think it's part of the Rift Valley somewhere. Um, and then we thought there is going to be safer than in the western side of Kenya, but it was worse than where we were. No. How? How so? Because the, uh, in the western side of Kenya, the people are not actually like, cutting people and with machetes and things like that. We're just burning houses and destroying properties and, you know, chasing you out, mm -hmm. you know. But in the, the Rift Valley side, they were actually killing. They didn't care if you were young, old. They would just kill you, like slaughter your head. Like, it was so bad. Like, I, would, I had to see bodies of dead people on the streets and we were also scared of our lives and... No one would help us. The police were like, you chose the president that you chose. And so that's none of our business, you know. Like no one no one really cared. People were just running for their own lives. 
and for me i felt like the world is what well, the world was ending like that was the end of the world like god is coming to take the good yeah, people yeah. and the bad people are going to be left behind and yeah it, it was it was it was terrible it was quite a a thing that i i saw and we got it was just a long story oh, let me let me ask you this what was the original <laughs> conflict why were the two tribes conflicting so actually there are three tribes okay. because kenya has 42 tribes and all these 42 tribes we have the three main tribes that is the luo kikuyu and the kalenjins and these three tribes if you go anywhere in kenya you'll find them like we are we are scattered everywhere we don't have like we have a specific place that we originated from kenya according to the kenyan history but we just love being everywhere and when these tribes are not in good terms with with one another kenya is in chaos you know like kenya is in a, is a total disaster and during the history of since 1963 when kenya got independence the president who has been uh presidents who have been in you know ruling kenya they have been from the kikuyu tribe like it has been a continuous thing yeah the only president that we have had once a president from the kalenjin tribe and and a president from um the luo once and all other presidents are from kikuyu and so the political leaders started giving these ideas to their own political tribes about how it's not fair for the kikuyus having a president over and over again and yeah. ruling kenya we need to have a president from a different tribe okay and the you know kenya's a democratic um system like we vote and the president you know we get the president but voting is not that only the kikuyus are the ones who voted for that president there are different other tribes that voted for that president but these three tribes the political leaders came in and started talking and putting ideas and you know telling them how it's not fair they need to stand up they need to fight they need to you know talk about it and so instead of really talking about it it kind of just started people started killing one another so instead of getting out the Bana. vote they got out machetes and said let's just fucking kill everybody that's kill everybody. in let's... opposition to what we want yeah okay so that's how it started and young people are the ones doing it not like old people are not coming from the houses and doing it i would see young people running around with machetes and just kill people and for me it was it was as if you know like demons running around you know like how do you take a machete and start killing someone killing the neighbor that you know that you have been living with for like since you were born or something like that was there violence in the culture prior to this moment no That so wasn't. this is just a complete break with what's normal. Mm-hmm. People started doing shit that they would have never done otherwise. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it just started like that and my family was really affected by that. We lost everything, but we didn't lose our lives. Let, <laughs> let's talk about that for a second too. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, you mentioned something about that yesterday about your family's life prior to that to this uprising, to this particular turmoil. What was it like before? Our life was so perfect. Like I had everything I needed. We were so rich. We you know, I was raised knowing there's no like there's no hunger, there's no poverty, there's no I had a good life. I went to a good school and I think that's why my English is also kind of better, I guess, because I mostly I studied with um 
schools, international kind of schools, and uh, different people from all over. And yeah, I had everything I needed. Like my life was so perfect. And people would say they are hungry, they didn't have food or things like that. And I would be like, are your parents not working? Like, how do you miss even breakfast or lunch yeah. or dinner? And my yeah, my dad, my dad was um. He he used to work with the the petroleum company where he would transport petroleum oil from within East Africa. So he would travel around East Af- Africa and you know do that. And my mom, she worked with the uh, she 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 loves working with fabrics and so she had a huge boutique that had fabrics from all over East Africa and people would just come to her store to buy stuff from from her and she would get things from Uganda and stuff like that. And every weekend, oh my God, every weekend we would go to different places and we won't be in the house my dad would come would drive around you know go mm. and have vacation somewhere and just nice it was a perfect life and then and then this happens it happens and you have to leave your home so you when you say you left your home and moved to this other place by the river valley does that mean what would you take with you so we took everything we took like everything in our house because we 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 had a house in um in the western side of kenya mm. So we we were we took everything and knew that we will come back, you know. Okay. So when we went to the Rift Valley side of Kenya, that's where my grandparents they had they owned a, a house and all that, and so we went there and started life there. And I told my mom, "There's no need of going back to Western side of Kenya. Let's just stay here because it was so beautiful, and I wanted to go to school there." And so they said, "Yeah, fine." And it was during Christmas, so. She told me we'll have Christmas here in Eldoret and then in January you can walk around looking for a nice school for you to start, you know, going to school. So my mind was settled. I was like, yeah. I'm not going back to the western side of Kenya. This is a very perfect place to stay. And then bodies start dropping. Yeah, and then when it was actually at night when we were listening to the radio and then the president was announced that the president of Kenya, his name is Mwai Kibaki. And Mwai Kibaki is from the Kikuyu tribe. So when he was announced things just snapped people were shouting outside when we went outside houses were being burnt around us and Whoa. people are running around and so we didn't even take anything with us my dad just said let's get into the car and drive and so and we just left your grandma's just house just left like that with, with nothing. no clothes nothing where'd you go so we drove and went to the city because we were kind of downtown out of the of the city and so we went to the city and there was a huge church where everyone was running in for safety and so my dad said well let's stay here and then tomorrow morning we can go back pick some stuff that we need and then go somewhere else and we stayed there for the night with other people people were like so scared crying and it was just crazy and i was i felt confused i wasn't even sure what's happening and i remember the next morning we went back home and and it was calm nothing was happening during the day and we stayed there and where we where we stayed it's um it's like inside uh, a valley and then you surrounded by hills and so i sat outside and i saw a group of people walking and so i didn't know where they were going mm. so i called my mom and told her what are those people doing up there they're like a big line of people following one another and walking and it was from afar and then when my mom saw that she was like oh my goodness we are all going to die wow. and i was like how are we going to die and she told me those people are coming to burn this entire area. Oh shit. And so we had to now start moving. My mom even she was so scared. My dad was like, We we need to sit and wait and maybe they're not coming to kill us or you know. But your mom knew. My mom knew. My mom knew this is a disaster. 
And she told us we just need to go. And so we started driving. We didn't take anything again. We started driving. And when we were driving, the roads were closed. So there's nowhere to go. So we had to come back to the same church and stayed there and waited again. for what happened. And during and the funniest thing is that I didn't, you know, at that time I wasn't even understanding like why during the day it wasn't chaos, chaotic and things like that. But during the night, things just explode. Like people start fighting, killing one another. And in the morning you'd find dead bodies around the streets and it was like a bloodshed place like i don't know it was it was so crazy and for me it made me so angry and i felt as if we were all going to die and we were so many of us in the church people were praying i was like i don't know even if i need to pray because if god is you know the creator of all of us and why why are other people killing other people and Staying in the church, there was a church next to us that was burnt with people inside. And so we thought that our church was going to be the next. So you're, there's a church right next to you and people are going in that one as well. It burns yeah. up and people are in there and they yeah. die. Everyone died. You're next door. We were in the next church. And then we we knew we knew it was time for us to die. So everyone, because you can't go anywhere, you can't drive anywhere. They closed the road. No one is coming in. No one is going out. The police are not helping they're even happy because some of them are, you know, kind of not with the idea of the president who is, you know, elected. And then we we stayed in the church for two nights. And when we stayed there, there's this gang of, I don't know how to explain it, but they there's a group of people in the Kikuyu, my tribal history, that called them Mungiki. And it's a special kind of an ancient, they're the people who practice, they're still practicing the tribal culture. And they're, meant, they're always believed to be very strong and they live in the woods. And I've never seen them before. Those are stories that I was being, I was being told by my parents when I was growing up about the Mongiki and they, they're the, the only people in the Kikuyu culture that can only save the Kikuyus. And they're, very, they're believed to be warriors mm. from the old ancient and people have been joining and they, to join that you need to go through kind of an initiation thing and you have to grow your hair with locks and very long not cutting them and things like that so those people that was my first time seeing those people showing up they actually showed up they showed up in that um, church area and they're the ones who saved us from being burnt down they fought it was like you see like the way you see a movie? Yeah. Like people fighting and killing one another. That was the same thing I saw. They fought. They burnt two other people live. And then they rescued us from that church. They opened the road and told us to just go and not come back. And not tell anyone about what they have done. So up until this point, these, these folks are like mythical people to you. Yeah. Like but they showed up they when you sh- needed them. They showed up. And you said they burnt two people. Was it? What what happened? From another tribe. Okay. Because it's yeah, explaining this thing is <laughs> so hard. Um so you know, I was standing on the window looking outside. People were sh- shouting and screaming inside the church because the people who we saw, my mom saw 
coming down from the hill that the same people who are the ones coming in the church to kill everyone. Yeah. And they had the bows and the arrows. And there was something about their arrows that when it touched a building, it starts fire. Ah, okay. So I don't know what they, they would put, but they would try shooting that and it wouldn't come near the church. So they would con- continue trying doing that and coming closer and closer to the church. Yeah. And then this gang of people, the Monkiki, shows up and they kill every, like it was like I don't know what they were using, but they were just killing the people who are coming towards yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they caught two of them. When they caught two of them, they burnt two of them alive with these big wheels, car oh, wheels, tires, yeah, tires, yeah. They burnt them alive, and all that I'm, you know, seeing and watching. And the rest of the other people who are coming to kill everyone in the church starts running away. Okay, so they did it to show, like, stop this shit right now. Yeah, so okay. they ran away, and that's how we got saved, and they opened the church, and we all, they walked with us through the, the roads, and, you know, they told us, just walk and go, and not look back. And so we walked, We oh my God, we Whoa. walked and walked, and then... Wait, wait, this is kind of... So you're 10 years old, and you're literally watching people burn alive in yeah. tires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fucking crazy. Okay, so they say start walking, get out of town, don't yeah. look back. Mm-hmm. So you guys start and walking. Since How then, long? I've never gone back there. You've never been back. I've never been back. So everything that was in your grandmother's house that came from your house, everything that was already in your grandma's, all gone. All gone. They took it. Who, they, who's the they? The other tribes. The other tribes took it the after the tribe. after the those mythical folks came down and saved y'all. They went back into yeah they the forest and they were gone. Yeah, they went back to the forest. I don't know. They showed up when they were needed and then they left like angels or something. Yeah, if if you murdering angels. And for now, I I say I usually say if it was not for them, then I wouldn't you know I wouldn't be alive. None of my family would be alive, and none of my brothers, my father, you know. Wow, yeah. so your whole, yes, right, everybody was with you. Yeah. Your mother, your father, you have three brothers? I have four brothers. Four brothers, your mm-hmm. grandmother? My grandmother was there, my grandfather was there. I had a few of my uncles and my aunts. So there if your whole family is in this church, yeah. the fiery arrows are getting closer and closer, yeah. and these cats come out and save you. Mm-hmm. You have to see some crazy shit, and then you start walking. Yeah, we started walking, and we walked, we walked. Uh, we walked for a long time and then my dad remembered that he left his car so he wanted to go back and get his car and my mom was like don't go back let's just keep walking as we were told to walk you know and he didn't listen so he went back and Whoa. you know luckily he got the car and came oh no <laughs> yeah he came and we got in and we drove we went to a police station for safety so all of us who are in that church uh, we stayed at a police station and we stayed there, I think, for a week, and we were sleeping outside, just anywhere you can find, sleeping there. And my parents would buy food with the money that they had, so all the savings they had was going into the entire time when we were outside and just moving around and stuff like that, eating and yeah. And kids during that one period of the week that we stayed at the police station, kids, some few kids died because of you know typhoid and. This disease is cholera. It was so dirty because people were pooping everywhere. It was just, just a disaster. And wow. yeah, and people had nightmares. Some would even scream in the middle of the night and would just stand up and start running, thinking that you know the other tribes are back. Yeah. yeah, fuck. 
Yeah, so it was it was just crazy. And so you're just sleeping outside right at this yeah. point, sleeping yeah. outside of some police station. Just outside. Nowhere really to go. No, I had to go. It's just outside. We thought the police station is the best place to go. You know, like if they, they try might keep you in, safe, they might keep maybe, us safe. Yeah. Maybe, but the police were also they didn't care. They were just like, you you chose the president you chose, and that's what's happening. So no one no one actually really cared until. The Red Cross started, you know, stepping up. The United Nations started stepping up, coming in and bringing us food. And they decided to step up and they took us from the police station to a different place where it's kind of an, an exhibition area where we do agricultural shows and things like that. It is a huge, huge piece of land. So they took all of us there. We were thousands and thousands of people. So they had to... As we went with uh, my dad's car and the rest were being transported by big, you know, big lorries and cars and things like that. Um, when we went there, they started giving us tents. Um, my family is huge. We are like five, seven people in, in a tent. <laughs> wow. There's no way we can stay seven people in a tent. Um, yeah, so we tried. We would just sleep inside that tent. And How long did you stay at this camp, this particular campground? We stayed. Um, I think we stayed there for a year. You stayed in that tent for a year. For a year, and I went to school in that campground because they also offered education for us. And I remember that was the time when I was finishing my eighth grade. Um, <laughs> were the teachers from Kenya, or the teachers, the Red Cross folks from the UN and everywhere else? They are from Kenya, but the Red Cross are the ones finding them. And, okay. You know, hiring them to come. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, actually these organizations really helped. The USAID came and they were bringing food every day. They would bring us breakfast, lunch, dinner, and they would serve us and then wow. they would go back. And other organizations also in Kenya stepped up. I remember there's this organization called Muli Children's Family. It's kind of a, a children's home known around Kenya. They also showed up and were... They would come and provide what they can. Um, sometimes they would bring us snacks and we would eat because we knew when we go home, when we go back to the tents, there's no food, you know, like there's nothing to cook. We don't have anything. It's yeah. just a tent. Yeah, and yeah. So we would would make sure we really eat as much as we can and go back home and just sleep. And yeah, and my parents would also, they would also bring food in the tents. When we are in school, they would bring in school and then they would also bring for the folks in the tents. Mm -hmm. And then I remember that time when some of my friends we were studying with, all of them, I think, I don't even know if all of them are still, you know, still moving on with their lives or I don't know. But I remember they were, the militaries were brought there to come and protect us just in case of anything. Which military? The, the Kenyan, Kenyan military? Kenyan okay. military. Okay. And instead of taking care of us, they started taking advantage of the young girls, started raping young girls. The military? Yeah. And... <laughs> oh, okay. And, you know, they would, they, would, they would sit and watch young girls go take a shower and, like, they... Yeah, no one was actually really helping, but that was the life we were living <laughs> for that one year. But, yeah, I'm lucky I was just... I don't even... Ha I can't even tell half of the time during that moment what I was really doing but I remember just really working hard in school and just studying and I remembered blaming my parents and telling them why are we even living in a tent why can't we just go somewhere else and you know find another nice house and live 
and they would tell me there's nowhere to go, you know. They the roads are closed. You can't travel around because there are people on the other side waiting to kill and they would actually stop a, a bus full of people and start asking for IDs and you know and they would read your name and if your name had a, a last name from my tribe then you are you are done, you know. Like if you go in a different tribal area then that's a problem. So yeah. we had to just be where we thought it was safe for yeah. us to be. And you're mad at them thinking the just take me somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't yeah. understand it really. <laughs> I yeah, I didn't understand. And at this it, point, really. all the all the, the young people you saw killing folks, the people who were trying to burn down the church, these are all men. They're all men. Yeah. No women. Yeah. 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 So yeah, and the uh, people the military that comes suppo- supposedly to help y'all, to protect y'all, they start doing all kind of crazy shit again, once again, men. Men. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we stayed in that in the tents for a year, and then there was this thing they called Operation Rudy Nyumbani. Rudy Nyumbani is like going go back home, so it's like an Operation Go Home thing that started, and the government. That's why I don't like our government. The government decided to take us to where we came from, and we can't go back there because my grandparents' property was taken and. You know, everything was banned from the house. We couldn't go back and claim that land. They all our title deeds was taken, and yeah. you know stuff like that. So we there's nothing to go back and claim. Yeah. And the government decides to take us back to where we came from, and people refused because how can you go back? Well, how will you tell the person who has your property that that's my property? I need to come back, and that will also create another violence. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So my parents didn't go. We everyone refused to go, and the government decided to look for another piece of land somewhere, and they came and started taking us because the place where we were, it's a place where the government do agricultural exhibitions, and people come from all over to come and see, and it's a way of the government getting you know money and stuff like that. So they needed y'all to get out of there, yeah, so you can get back to making the money. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Yeah, so we the government came up with a kind of a solution they call and decided to take us to where we wanted to go and so they would come with three different uh places and they would say if you want to go to this place, you know, put your name there. If you want to go to this place, put your name there. And if you want to go here, put your name there. So my parents decided to just be in the Rift Valley area because that's where we originated from, as it said. Actually, originated from the central part of Kenya. But the Rift Valley of Kenya is where the Kalenjins originated from. And that's the, sh- the same tribe that we were kind of fighting <laughs> against one another. So my parents decided to stay on the Rift Valley side of Kenya. And we chose a place called Naivasha. Naivasha is um, it's not far away from Eldoret. It's uh, kind of close. And so the government took us there gave us another tent bigger than the one we were staying in. It had like two two separations, like a bedroom and then Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like two that. Two part tent. Two okay. part tent, yeah. Moving on up. Yeah, so we stayed in that tent for three years. Um holy shit. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. So it was a total of four Fuck. years being in a tent. And, and now you I mean this is puberty you're turning fourteen, fifteen yeah, puberty's happening here? Mm-hmm. In the tent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I we stayed in the, in that tent for 3 years and that's when I 
think my life changed totally completely. I I I started accepting the fact that we are in a tent and you know trying to get life and live life and going to school. I remember hating being in tents and all the time I would get an opportunity to go somewhere I would just go. Like yeah, to be anywhere except anywhere the tent. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I would just go. And it was hard living in a tent because sometimes when it rains there's water inside the tent. <sighs> You have to, you know, sit somewhere the whole night trying to hold the things that you have, you know, blankets and stuff. When it it was so hot, you can't stay inside the tent. When it was windy, the tent would blow away and then it would turn oh again. Oh, my gosh. And sometimes the wind was so strong and it would rip the tent apart. Like it started, you know, getting torn. And yeah, yeah it, was, it was a very horrible experience. And then Habitat for Humanitarian, an organization too, that stepped up and said, well, we'll start building houses for these people. And so that's how they started getting funds from different places and started building three-roomed houses for us. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's where we live up to now. <laughs> really? Yeah. In the same, pl- in the same area the same where you area. used to have the tent? Yeah. You now have a three-roomed house there. Yeah. When the, the folks from Habitat for Humanity, where, what country were they from? Um, it's a non-governmental organization, and I think they are from, I think somewhere in the U.S. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So folks from the U.S. came out there, and they were helping, and they built y'all a house. Yeah. So they hired they had folks from Kenya and started building houses. For okay. Us. They hired locals. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Um. Yeah, and that's how we got the the you know, and then they started giving us pieces of land. So where your house is, they would measure it, and they would say your property is from here to a different place. Okay. So it's like a a one. One acre of land. Oh, that's of. good. Yeah. Did y'all start growing food there? What? what? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Started growing food there. We started. We started a new life. Okay. Yeah. Everything started over right there. Yeah. It was. It's, it was now safe place, or not so much. Before, before. <laughs> that's been so many things happening. Before it became safe, people would get paranoid and you know start freaking out and. We had issues because where we are, it's not our land, you know. We are near another tribal okay. community called the Maasai. And the Maasais and the Kalenjins are not, they're kind of similar. So there was a time when they were kind of not okay with us staying there and they wanted us to get out of there. But that I, th- I don't know what happened. I think people just decided enough is enough, you know. Yeah. And... We are now living in peace up to this point. But the problem is that place is we are in the Rift Valley and the Rift Valley is is cracking as you saw on that yeah. on your phone, you know. The earth so, is just ripping open right there. Yeah, it's ripping open and we're in between two uh where we are living is like here and this side is ripped open, this side is ripped open. So it's like we are in the middle. You're in the middle of two rips. Yeah. In like the on a little peninsula, an earthen peninsula. Yeah. So oh, that's, that's crazy. That's a problem, and I, you know, in fifty years to come, never know what might happen. And we, the volcano, the mountain that we are close to is called Mount Longonot, and it's a dormant mountain. It doesn't. It used to erupt, but yeah. it doesn't anymore. And there's just something about it that when it rains, the rain that the water that comes from all from the mountain down to the valley destroys everything, and that's how the ripping thing happens. Wow, where are you living now? Does it flood? Sometimes it floods, yeah. Okay. Sometimes it floods. So we the the ripping helps it from kind of too much flooding. Okay. At, at times it does. So so how did you go from this tumultuous scenario? You finally the house is built, you're living there in this house. 
to being this internationally, you know, traveled person. Like what, what, how the hell do you go from that experience <laughs> to me meeting you in California? So there's an organization in Austin, Texas called CTC, Comfort the Children International. And Amala Foundation is also in Austin, uh, Austin, Texas. And they have been looking for youth from all over the world to attend the Global Youth Peace Summit. So they connected with Comfort the Children International because that organization also works with an it works with a, with schools in Kenya. And so apparently the school that I went to, it's close to it's it's like a walking distance, but I was lucky to get people to to take me oh, sorry. People to take me to school. You know, I got I got scholarship. I was I was loop finding my way out in life. Okay, I, you were I figuring would, it out. Yeah, I, w- I would you know when I hear like the guest coming in that in the in the campsite to bring us food or to just see us, I would be the one showing up and trying to make myself visible. And luckily, you know, someone just somewhere that's like God sending an angel just saw me and he was like, "Are you going to school?" And I said, "No." And he said, "Well, go look for a school and I'll pay for your for your tuition for the entire year." Wow! Somebody just some random person. Some random person. It was a man. He was a man. Okay. All right. Finally. <laughs> finally. Come on, brothers. Do something different here. All right. So finally, some yeah, man does something positive. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, I went and found a school and it, it was a boarding and a day school. So he told me to choose if I want a day school or a boarding school. But he said, I prefer boarding school. So you don't, you don't have to walk back and forth in school and home. And it would distract me from the states of the life we are living and not studying and you know yeah so he he told me to take the boarding choice and so i did and he paid the entire wow. tuition fee of the year what year was that for you in school that was uh when I, w- I was joining um ninth grade i think so ninth grade year yeah you get to go to this boarding school uh-huh. completely paid by someone else uh-huh. and how how was that experience did you like it i liked it okay yeah I liked it. It was it, it made me have hope that I can go to school and I can get good grades and still yeah. make my life better. Okay. But I didn't like going back home. It was stressing me up all the time. And yeah, so I went to school and that's how I met the organization that I was talking about. So the organization worked with also this school that I went to to link the students in that school with high school students from Canada and the US. So the they would do like a Skype program where they talk about a topic, maybe something about the culture in Kenya and the culture in the US or in Canada. And and sometimes we would do like essay competitions. We would write essays and send it to them and they would write their essays and send it to us and then we'd would rank who scored the highest marks and then find out a gift to send it to them and they would do the same. Okay, I like that. So I was I was interested with at, with joining that uh, program in school. So, And the only people who joined the program were the smartest people, the people who are really brilliant. And so I was getting good grades in school, so you were one of the, you were really brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I joined the club and... Uh, and then this opportunity comes of, they said, there's an essay competition about peace. That was my worst nightmare ever. Mm. And they would tell us to write something, a one page, and we had to write 
um, the, the minimum words that they gave us and just a, a page about peace, what you know about peace. And so for me, I was like, I don't know anything about peace. Like what is even peace means to me, you know? Mm. So it brought a lot of emotions and I was so angry. I was like, why is this peace thing following me everywhere? Like, why is it reminding me of the things that I saw and the things that I passed through? So I took the piece of paper and I wrote all the negative things about peace, like my anger and everything. And I was so angry and I wrote everything and I gave it out. And they, they, they said the best essay writer would get the opportunity to go to the United States to attend a Global Youth Peace Summit happening in Austin, Texas. Okay. And so for me, I wasn't even interested in going to that Austin, Texas because <laughs> <laughs> it was about peace. Like, yeah, it yeah. was about peace, like <laughs> the essay. And I was, I, I loved writing and I just, it was like the worst piece of writing ever I wanted to write, you know? Yeah. And so I wrote it and just delivered it and I was so angry and I got so mad. And when I, when I went back to the class and it took, it was after two weeks, I think they went and reviewed the essays and they read it and stuff like that. So the organization comes back and they say they they've selected two people to go to the United States, and so all of us in the club we are we are called in a classroom and to be given the news and to know who won the essay. And my name is like the first name that they you know they say it like Naomi is the one going to the United States to wow. attend the Global Youth Peace Summit. Her peace essay was amazing. <laughs> and then I start thinking. <laughs> How amazing was it, you know? Like, I didn't write anything about peace. I just wrote about all the bullshit I know about this thing called peace and how it has ruined my life, you know? Wow. And and for me, I was shocked and I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I'm going to Austin, Texas, actually, in the United States, yeah, my yeah. first time. And they wanted to... So one of the American guy came from the organization in Austin, and came to Kenya to see the who, who came? Who was it? It wasn't from Amala Foundation. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> it was from the uh, the organization. Okay. So he wanted to see the people who were coming, the young people who were coming to the to the attending the summit and wanted to have an interview with us to just yeah. see how fluent we are in English and if we can understand him and stuff like that. And that was my first time seeing an American person. Really? So it was also and actually talking to an American person. Yeah. So it was actually a big deal for me. I was like, ooh, it's an American guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he did ask a bunch of questions and you know, I just responded to the questions and stuff like that. And he was great. He said, yeah, English is good. And so we need to start your process of passports and visa and all that. And during this process, I didn't tell my parents that I'm going to the US or anything. Because it felt like, for me, things, Things felt fake, you know. Oh, okay. I wasn't, I wasn't even really. I didn't believe that I'm flying. I was like, this would be your first time on a plane too. Yeah, yeah, my first time. And we since since the entire violence war thing that happened, you know, people have been coming and wanting to know about, you know, what happened and wanting to write things about, you know, how I was affected by the post-election violence and wanting to hear my story and so for me that became the thing that got me so tired and I felt like people just want to know about your life and go use it and that's it yeah and so when this opportunity came I was like maybe these people are just the same people who keep coming and wanting to know and feeling pity and stuff like that so I wasn't even really into yeah. like I'm going to the United States so I right. felt like it's just 
up there in the air. It's mm. not going to happen. And then until things started got, getting serious, they started coming to school and taking me out of school and going to the embassy and going to, you know, getting my passport. And the embassy, they denied me a visa and I refused to walk away. And I told them I have to go to the United States. I've worked hard for it. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. And the guy at the window got tired and, you know, gave me my, my visa. No way. And it was a, it was a quite a crazy journey also getting the visa. And when I got the visa, that's how I came to the Global Youth Peace Summit in Austin, Texas. And I think that was in 2012. 2012, yeah. wow. That's when I came for my first Global Youth Peace Summit in Austin. And that was also a hard, like it was so hard. I remember me and Vanessa, I was almost telling Vanessa that I hate this summit. I want to go back home. Okay, before before we get into the summit, let's talk about what hmm. Amala is and what they're trying to do. And what is the summit? Because we've mentioned it three three times now. What is the summit? So, the summit. So, the Global Youth Peace Summit is a summit that unites young people from all over the world and to find their inner peace and their outer peace and to find who they really are in the essence of being in community with others and how do we bring all our differences together and make a village. And so, for me, the Global Youth Peace Summit is a place where I I call home, a place where I I come back to check in with myself and see how far I have grown and the things that I've dealt with and how I went through the journey of healing to be where I am and also to appreciate my past. And, you know, if it wasn't for my past, then I wouldn't be even here yeah. doing this podcast. Right, right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, so for me, yeah, the Global Youth Peace Summit is a... It's not only about peace in the world. It's about inner peace. And to have that inner peace, to also work through forgiveness. Mm. And through forgiveness, there's healing. And healing, it makes me... Um, I don't want to talk about other people, but for me, it makes me have good relationships with the people around me and yeah. building um, nice community. That's well said. I never thought about that. The peace summit is not only about peace in the world, but peace inside of oneself. That is a really good way to look at it. Yeah. I never thought about that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well said. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the peace summit. So the first summit in Austin, you're there and you're you're hating it. Why? I hated it. I remember when my first. So I I got there, and I remember there's an amazing. Um, family that hosted me was from the organization that came to Kenya to do the 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 Comfort the Children International. So those are the one of the family from that organization hosted me and took me to the Global Youth Peace Summit. Going there, I met people from all over, like the people from Congo, you know, Ethiopia, US, like all different continents and countries. People came in, and the young people, and I'm also a young person, and so. My first talking circle, we sat down and I was really w waiting to hear what's all about this Global Youth Peace Summit and what's, you know, what's showing up and stuff. And for me, I thought it was going to be a PowerPoint thing where someone, you know, we do like a framework or get into work and stuff like that. But yeah. it was so different. <laughs> and we were sitting down on the floor. <laughs> um, and so I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm really waiting. I have my notebook and my pen 
waiting to learn and ready for all this and then Vanessa is there sitting and she just talks and the conversation starts popping <laughs> and people start talking about how they don't like the way their parents are treating them they don't like the way they're being grounded all the time they 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 don't like the way they they're not given rights to you know go out with friends and have fun and i'm like are those the things we are going to talk about the entire week about how we don't like the way our parents are treating us and for me it was so hard i was like i'm i'm having real issues here like i <laughs> i have been part of a very traumatizing violence in kenya and i'm coming to sit down to have a conversation with young people who want to talk about you know the good things that i had before yeah you know? they're complaining about what was good about your life yeah got you so it was so hard i remember i remember when vanessa finished talking and we were you know it was time for us to just go have a free time i was i was crying and i told vanessa i want you to buy my ticket for me to go back home right now wow and she was she was a little bit you know she was like surprised <laughs> <laughs> get me out of here now yeah she was surprised okay. and then she told me to sit down with her and we started talking and she asked me why do i want to go back home and i told her this is not for me i didn't come here to hear about how people are talking about their lives of not having a cell phone and you know being grounded and all those whining and whining like for me it was too much it took me back and thinking about all oh, the good life i had and now yeah. that's what they have and i don't have that and it was so hard so i told her i want to go home i just want to go back home to the simple life that is at home and be with my parents yeah and so she told me to t- tell her my story like how i came he- to the global youth peace summit and how is my life back at home and so i i gave her my i told her my story and all that and i remember the words that she told me there's so many things we talked about but i remember the words that she told me that I've always stuck in my head is she told me when i look at you i see myself when i was young and i see the beauty of a woman that you are becoming those are the words that Vanessa mm. told me and uh, she told me i want you to go and sleep and rest and think about if you really want to go home or you want to stay and she told me this is just the beginning of the summit it's not even the third day it's the first day wow you want to go home the first day the first day of the okay. summit And so she told me to go and just think about it and see there's so many things that will show up during the end of the summit and do I really want to miss that or do I want to go back home to the things that are affecting my lives and the the sadness, the pain or do I want to deal with them during this week. Mm. So yeah, I went feeling feeling like damn, this woman is so is getting hard on me and I you know I don't like her, I hate her, and, you know. So I started feeling as if my life is being dictated there and you know but when i my counselor i remember shona she was uh shona and caroline were my first my first cabin counselor wow and from the beginning shona yeah. was there. okay <laughs> yeah and so we yeah was it shona my cabin counselor or she was yeah i think yeah i think we were in the same cabin yeah and so we we i went and and slept as Vanessa said I just took time by myself and then the next day I told myself okay I can do this let me just sit and listen to what's happening and so the second day things started going deeper the deepest conversations that I, I was running away from or I you know I didn't want to hear got real 
Yeah. People started talking about the real violence in their own countries. Mm. People from Iraq talking about how they, you know, hear shootings all the time. People from Israel, how they go, they need to go and serve the military to protect their country or, you know, be safe. And so such conversations started. And that's when I, 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 I saw that the summit is real and it was time for me to also feel it and by feeling it to be open to sharing my stories too. And when all these conversations started showing up and people's, you know, having real issues bigger than mine, mm. it made me think. It made me humble myself, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, yeah, and I also remember sharing my story and how the violence happened and stuff like that. And I remember the entire room being silent and people crying. As you were sharing. Yeah. People were crying along with me and I was crying too. And that was a that was a breakthrough for me. It made me um start f- thinking about healing and forgiving the people who took me like thousand steps back. Yeah. From scratch, you know, from nothing. And I I decided to tell myself it's not my fault that it happened and it's not my problem, you know. It's the past problem and I don't have to carry that anger with me. Mm. And and during that moment of the summit, that's when I I told myself that I need to see my past and appreciate it. It took me all the way to meeting people who took me to school, to high school, like my entire high school. My parents didn't pay for my school fees. They mended. He paid for a year. And then I met another man who was from the U.S. who came to Kenya, <laughs> paid for my entire other three years in high school. Wow. And, and also in college, not my parents paid for it. Like I... I met friends and they wanted to support me in school and you know they kept paying my school fees and stuff. So it the summit made me just appreciate that I'm still living and I have I can either choose to make my life better or I can either choose to be in the pain and the anger and make my life worse. Mm. And so after sharing my stories I got good connections with other young people we connected we had it was like a place where my life just switched. And I started seeing things in a different way. I started seeing people in different ways and started appreciating people who are around me and people who are supporting me through my journey. And that's how I started my journey of healing and saying enough is enough. I need to let it be instead of letting it go because I don't believe of letting things go and forgetting about it. It all, it all, it will always remind you of something. And I believe in letting things be the way they are and just appreciate them. Oh. And so, for me, the summit is just a place I call home to go back and appreciate my healing journey that started there. Wow. And that's how I started feeling that I need to bring that in my community. And so I attended the summit for a week and went back home and I felt I need to share with my school what I, I experienced and what I saw. And so, so many people in that school also affected by the violence. Yeah. So I started bringing the healing in the school. 
and through that leadership the school selected me as this at the school as the as the school president okay so every morning i would have time to share with the school about a quote or um i read something from the book oh nice or i share a piece of the summit of what i got from the summit yeah and so that's how i started discovering the leader in me like mm. if i can heal then i can bring the healing too yeah. to the people who are around me to I also like that. find that yeah and so i that's how my you know my journey of doing this amazing work started and i i did it in my school and i saw the way it really brought people together and people were so curious and the young people were like how how can we how can we heal like how can we get past this violence tribal anger that we have and so i started doing tiny circles with students in my school we would gather around maybe just sing a song and write a few words of the pain we have and turn it into a song and see how can we rub that and use that words and write another positive word apart from the negative mm. words that we have written you know mm. and so i would do just simple things with people in school and i would show people how to live with one another like being a school president and keeping time keeping time is a thing that we do in school but also no one has to tell you to keep time how do you keep time by yourself And so it was just simple things that I would do in school and in my club I went back to my club and we started doing um we started doing an Ubuntu which I talk about community thing and we would go every weekend the school would give us permission and give us the bus and the driver and then they, they would drive us around the community and we would start collecting litter and burning and you oh. know just keeping the community clean serving the community yeah and so and also i i started you know having good relationships with my brother i started teaching my brothers my my parents of how to stop always every day talking about the things we had and complaining and saying that we hate these people because they mm. did that to us and so that conversation started fading of remi- reminding ourselves of the past and keeping you know they were like still bringing the hatred yeah. you know the anger and so that stopped and i told my brother they need to start doing like a football match competition with another tribe because there was another mm. tribe close to us so they would do kikuyu versus the masai tribe playing football together and then through that playing football together they connect they get there's a free new friendship that begins there and they can see the beauty in one another instead of you know closing ourselves and saying oh i, I will be with my tribe and yeah. have friends from my tribe because my parents my parents started teaching me of how to only have friends from my tribe that was their reaction to what they experienced mm-hmm. they thought it was safer to just stick to your own stick to your own and not yeah. connect with other people yeah. and they also taught me to now think about when i grow up and i want to get married you know i should get married to someone from my tribe like yeah. everything should be from my tribe yeah 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 and so for me i started changing that with my family i, mm-hmm. I told them i we need to change because this is this is the pain of the ancestors now we are going to leave them behind and for me growing up as a young person i want to bring new blood new connection like mm. new things and not bringing that hatred from the past yeah. spreading it to the new generation yeah, you know yeah yeah and so that was since then my life changed and my parents would see that and they would see how i react at home how i connect with people it was very different and from my school to my home and i decided now to do it with the community wow and so i would also 
because I was young, so my brothers were the one helping me to like bring people together and we would do stuff with people together. And young people started knowing their talents and they started using their talents to also heal. And so right now in my community where we live, young people have started doing things that are that are they have find that it's a space for them to heal towards towards the the ancestral kind of I call them the ancestral wounds of the things that happened in two thousand and seven. And and that's how I got <laughs> to work with the community and bring the Global Youth Peace Summit in Kenya. That's amazing. And and Shauna from the beginning, she worked with me in, in that journey and she came to Kenya and helped me find a space where we can house uh host the summit and it happened and that's how I'm still getting more and more opportunities from meeting people from different places and they're connecting me to different things. And that's how I still grow and still healing too. That's different awesome. Ways. Yeah. So you show up at the <laughs> summit and you learn how to reframe your own story, mm-hmm. some reconciliation, and you you go back with some internal peace that you try to share at school, at home, in the community. And then you try to bring the entire experience to Kenya. Yeah. Wow. How has it impacted folks there? I mean, when you look at some folks who first started, who who came to your first event, well, I mean, what do you see in them? There's lots of beauty in them. I remember some of them who came for the global, the first Global Youth Peace Summit, uh, there's, they're, they're the same people who actually majority, well, there were different people from all over Africa, but the majority who came from Kenya were people who have been through the post-election violence. And they have faced a lot of things than I did. Like theirs was, they had to lose someone in their family. Yeah, They had to, you know, see how their mother get raped with, raped with someone else and yeah. stuff like that. And now seeing them right now, they are doing amazing things back in their community. They are like starting youth peace programs. Some of them are even learning yoga, which yoga is not a common thing in Kenya. Yeah. And they're doing yoga in a way of just healing and stretching themselves and meditating and not seeing it as a like a, like a voodoo kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. And others have started businesses to sustain their own self and not think that Kenya, mm. there's no jobs or yeah, nothing. Yeah. So looking at them right now, and all of them, some of them we connect, some of them... We have been visiting one another. I would even go and just see what they're doing and do invite they would invite me to come and do like a talk or share stories and yeah. So it's I been contagious. It's contagious. The positivity, the and new framed love and it's all contagious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great, man. That's a great that's what a story. Yeah. See, cause I met you at a different I I met you well past this stage of I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> To hear you say I hated <laughs> I hated the summit. <laughs> By the time I got involved with the summit, you were a part of it. You were a young leader in the summit. So that's so interesting to hear that you were like, nah, this ain't it. And then it changes everything. Yeah. Shout out to Vanessa and to Shauna. Yeah, those two people are my femtas. That's amazing. I don't call them mentas. Because everything's femtas. about men. <laughs> <laughs> Mentors, mentors. Oh, that's funny. So My femtors. to femtors. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. I think people should know. I, I, I'm sure that people tell them all the time about their impact, but I'm glad you're saying it now. People should know that their impact is broad and it ripples and it's contagious. I think that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the summit for me was equally powerful. Uh, I came to it with a desire to just expand, and. What I experienced was that expansion was 
and accepting of, of who I am really at a deep, at a deep sense. And one of the things that's really struck me about the summit is how quickly uh, community is created. It seems like in a, in a day or two, you really feel like you were in a community. You've forgotten about the outside world. Mm-hmm. You know, your phones are gone. <laughs> you ain't worried about it. The internet is gone. By day two, day three, these youngsters in the cabin are like my brothers. And I, um, it, was, it was interesting to see community birthed so fast. Mm-hmm. And that has really impacted me on, out, on the outside. Like it's, it's impacted me in this life here yeah. back at home. I've uh, started a brotherhood gathering that happens every week. Because I knew we needed it. I came back from one of those summits and was like, man, my guys need, they need this. Yeah. And my intention was to do something immediately. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't do it. I let it go. And I was like, all right, whatever. I let it go. And it wasn't too long after that, a buddy of mine decided to take his own life. He was struggling with some things and uh, things got too heavy for him. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he put a shotgun to his chest oh. and, and, you know, pulled the trigger, blew his heart out of his body, you know, that kind of, and I thought about it. I thought back to when he was struggling and I knew he was struggling. Mm -hmm. And my reaction to that struggle was like, come on, man, let's go out. Let's have a drink. Let's get this off your mind. Let's, it was all, you know, superficial avoidance. Mm -hmm. Let's turn your attention away from that for a while, man. Ah, whatever to go. And that was all I ever offered. Yeah. That's the only thing I offered to my friend, you know, and eventually, his perspective on what was happening got too dire and he ended it all. You know, uh-huh. that, that, that permanent solution to a temporary problem. And I, and that it struck me that I hadn't offered anything else but fun and distraction. Mm. And, um, not too long after that, another friend of mine took his own life. And right before he did, he, he made a YouTube video and somewhere in the video said, listen, I've been struggling with some mental issues mm-hmm. and I haven't told anybody about it. And he just starts apologizing and saying, you know, I'm sorry, but that's it. This is it. This is the last time any of you will see me. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I hear, you know, he jumped off a building and died. Mm-hmm. And this is the second time that two young cats um, have been struggling with things without having any place to go with it. Mm-hmm. And then they decided that life just needed to end. And I thought, well, what what would have been the difference if if there had been a place for them to, to just get together and talk and talk, yeah. be for a moment in a safe communal space where you could let stuff off, mm-hmm. where the folks around you, you knew, loved you and they were there for you and they wanted to support you. Mm-hmm. The same feeling I got at the summit, mm-hmm. you know, and it was accomplished so quickly. So it didn't even take a lot of time to do it. What if we did it mm-hmm. and we gave brothers a space? Could we avert some of these tragic consequences? Yeah. And um um, so then I started, I said, that's it. A buddy of mine and I st- got together, started bouncing some ideas around and then we just started it. And we've been going now for, uh, seven months weekly. And, uh, a lot of that I owe to the summit as well. Mm-hmm. I owe to seeing these experiences unfold. I owe that yeah. to the people that introduced me to the summit and to, uh, and to the, how quickly we can just be familial and hold each other. We introduced you to the summit? A friend introduced ah. me to the summit. She introduced me to Solomon. And then Solomon, we, we talked, and Solomon said, yeah, you'll be good for this. And then from there, um, he put me on as to work in a cabin. Mm-hmm. And I worked with Ben Stark. <laughs> ben Stark and I shared a cabin the first time around. Yeah. Um, 
and that was my introduction and then it all developed from there so shout out to all those folks as well because yeah. that this has been i mean it's such a powerful thing i'll put so i'll put powerful. a link to the website in the description of the podcast so people can go check it out because if you're a young person and or if you're a parent and you have a young person that would benefit from some of the things we're talking about mm-hmm. there's an opportunity to take part in these events in austin and in california and i'll make sure both websites are available because yeah. it was powerful it was so powerful it and is powerful. It, it is. Shout out to too. everyone who has <laughs> ever been a part of the summit. Because you've, you've really created. I mean, when you're there, it's not just the leadership. Everyone is a part of the way it feels there. So everybody, all of y'all who've been to the summit, who've been a part of the summit, shout yeah. out to all of you. Love y'all. Yeah, love you all. Let me ask you, what do you think are some of the ways in which people, uh, what are the impressions people have of you that you think are kind of off? <laughs> what do you think are some of the ways that we we... we envision you that might not be so accurate (laughs) Uh, i'll ask it another way what do you think (laughs) is the difference between the way people see you and how you see yourself yeah sometimes i've i've met so many people and i have i still have so many friends but people see me different some people see me as if I, i can solve problems you know that they think i'm wiser than i think i am wise Uh. you know and they come to me tell me all their problems and they wait for me to give an answer of what they need to do but but i don't do that (laughs) you know (laughs) i can't give answers to problems i can work with you to figure out something but i just can't tell you this is what you need to do yeah and yeah and me for me is not helping people it's working with people towards helping themselves and my friends sometimes they think I'm always crazy because some of the things I also do, it's not the things that people do in Kenya, like not a normal lifestyle thing. Like waking up in the morning, do a nature walk or meditation and they think I'm going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not going crazy. I'm just having a time with myself, yeah. you know, checking in with myself. How am I feeling today? Um, Reminding myself of the values that I carry with me because my values are authenticity, love, and light. Mm. And that's what I carry with myself every yeah, day. I like that. And people just don't get how life is so beautiful if you want to make it beautiful. Mm. Just wake up in the morning and you know, oh, I need to take a shower. I need to go to this place. And you have so many things you want to do. But taking time for yourself. Yeah. Appreciating yourself. Like... That's very important. What else do you do? You know, you get up, you do these meditations, you walk around in nature. What else do you do to kind of remind yourself that life is beautiful? I have a, I have a box of wisdom cards. So every morning I take one, apart from when I'm traveling because I can't bring a lot of things and I don't like carrying so many things. Um, so when I'm back at home every morning, I, I do nature walk every Monday. Just walking around the land because it's uh it's like a farm where we work. There's a farm kind of land area, so I love walking in there and just meditating and feeling the land and knowing how it's different today than yesterday. And then after that, I come back, journal, and write the things that I've seen and the things that I've felt and what's happening in my body right now at the moment. And then after that. Every day, so that's always a Monday routine for me. And then every day I have wisdom cards that I pick one every day and read what it says and try and see if it has a message for me or there's a thing that is 
inviting me to you know let it be and mm. and or there's a thing that is just like a reminder for me of how I'm always walking in my journey yeah. so those are the two practices that I love doing and apart from that once in a week my friends and I we come together and we write down the things that have happened to us during the week that made us mad and then we have another bowl so there are two bowls one bowl of the things that are um, that happened to us the week and made us happy and we felt good and one bowl of all the things that made us sad and then we mix them up together and then randomly we just pick and then read what it says and then we set an intention of what do you want to do with that mm. as a group and so we come up with an activity about it or how we want to work with one another in all the things that we have written yeah. and so until until every week so we do that until the entire paper is gone the entire paper of balls are gone and then we keep rotating it and doing it and for me that has really helped me and my friends to always you know know that there's something that happens to us but we can choose to work with one another in solving that or making that not be as painful as it happened or becoming together and doing that to let things out of our hearts and our chest and and for me yeah for me it has really helped because there's different ways of healing within yourself and if you don't find a community that works with you the same thing you know you, someone might want to take their own lives or yeah. someone might feel like this is the end so those are the practices that i love doing with yeah. my friends and myself at sometimes yeah. and now you're sharing them you take everything back to kenya everything you learn you take back <laughs> yeah <laughs> so now you are you're working at an organization mm-hmm. um and what are you doing exactly at the organization? And tell me about that. And who are you working with there? Mm. So the organization is called International Peace Initiatives. And it's an organization founded by an amazing femta of mine called Dr. Karambo Ringera. <laughs> <laughs> and we the main the main um purpose of the organization was started because of a children's home. And I'll just share a little bit of her story of how she started it. She she used to study in the US and the Kenyan mindset if you if you're someone who stays in the US or travel in the US or abroad and you come back home to your community your community sees you as a savior or they see you as someone who has a lot of money and abilities and you know opportunities so for her people saw that in her and she was she was a young university student and there are these seven women who come to her mother's home and they are HIV and AIDS positive and they tell her we are going to die soon and we would like you to promise that you'll take care of our kids when we die wow and so she was like um i don't think i can do that now but promise me too you won't die quickly so that i can figure out myself if i can help your kids mm. and so what she did she started working with the seven women and she told them to find out if they have any skills to do anything and start working together and so all of them knew they they can do stuff with their hands like they can make baskets they can make jewelry and stuff like that so they came together as seven women and started doing that and that was a way for them to get money to keep uh, buying medicines for their you know for the for the aids and 
Dr. Karambon, she went back to the United States continuing studying and decided to do a yearly food kind of food festival, Kenyan food. So she would cook Kenyan food, invite people and people would come, buy food, eat and also donate for the chi- for the kids in Kenya. And so all these women, they didn't have like one kid. They had like two, three kids. And she had to say yes to it because there's no other way where the kids will go. And so she brought the kids to her mom's place and they started staying there and she started thinking about how to look for a place where she can now make these kids comfortable because her mom's house wasn't that big enough and mm. also her mother started complaining that <laughs> that so many kids, you know, yeah. you need to look for a place for them. And so she continued doing that and asking for funds and, you know, telling people about her vision of building a children's home. And that's how the children's home started. And she decided to call it International Peace Initiatives because she didn't want it to only specify on the kids and have a focus on the kids, but also do other things within that organization that would bring um, a sustainable funding for this children's home. And and the reason why she called it International Peace, uh, Peace Initiatives is because the word peace, as I said earlier, it's not only healing of the world and people and politics and leaders and stuff like that, but it's what are you doing to give your own inner peace and to give people other their own inner peace. And so she she decided to call it that because there, there were other things that she had visioned and she wanted to put them all together. Working with young people, working with women, working with men, working with the community, basically. And in that international peace initiatives, there's vocational training program that serves the community. The young women and men who dropped out of school because of different reasons, Mm -hmm. they come back, learn a skill, and then go start their own businesses to get income. Mm -hmm. And we, in that vocational program, we have hairdressing, catering, um, we have jewelry making, we have um, tailoring, where they come and learn how to make clothes and stuff like that. And within the same organization, we also have the permaculture design course. The community come, they have farms, people there love, you know, taking care of their farms and they love food and they love everything about farming. Yeah. So she started the permaculture, permaculture design course for the folks around the community to come and learn how to make use of a tiny piece of land. You can do a lot of things of a tiny piece of yeah. land. And Kenya, we only, the farms you walk around there, they only plant like maize and beans. Like that's the same common thing people plant everywhere. Maize yeah. and beans, maize and beans. And so she's she's working with people to show them that you can plant maize, you can plant beans, but you can add kills there. You can add tomatoes. You can add everything. And all these things, they co-depend on one another, you know. And so the piece of land that she has, she has done a permaculture um, designing on it. And so people come and they use that land as a learning. And then they go to that uh, community of someone who wants to bring that thing, the permaculture uh, to their land. We go there and help the community or that person do it. And no, so, I like that. You know, it helps each other. And the other thing we have also, the, the other program we have, um, at the International Peace Initiatives organization is youth programs. And one of the youth programs is the New Generation Leaders Pro- Program where youths from all over Africa come to find the leader in themselves and not the leader the leader that they want to see mm. 
in other people but the leader who they see themselves and yeah. and before getting into that leadership point we work on ourselves during that four days it's a four days program and i love an exercise that she loves doing of going outside for a few hours and sitting with yourself outside in nature and writing down the things that you think you know about yourself and mm. what you think other people know about you and the things that the community tells tells you who you are and you think they think they know who you are and what you think the divine spirit or god or whatever um uh spiritual connection they have that says they think they are and then looking at all these things and then finally combining all that and saying who do you really think you are and when they start sharing there are few exercises that she does with them until people go deeper deeper into discovering who they are and not who they think they are mm. and so that's a very powerful exercise and once that exercise is done these young people go back home and they are totally completely different people wow and for me that and the summits they're like two things that kind of uh the best things to ever do and ever be part of wow. uh we also have um the gender reconciliation uh workshop program and this is of all ages all genders all races so people come from different parts and to to work on their gender self you know mm. appreciating who they say they are according to gender mm. and also how men and women can relate to one another instead yeah. of Kenya Kenya I'll use Kenya as an example because I know Kenya better like men are seen as you know the head of everything the head of a family the head of making decisions the head of you know everything is all men and so the gender workshop reconciliation workshop is how do we reconcile with one another and how do we work with one another and not seeing who is superior and who is inferior or yeah you know and stuff like that and also relationships that we have with one another is very important too yeah. so those are the the programs that we also do um at uh, international peace initiatives sounds like y'all are doing some great work we are doing a lot of things i'd like to meet her she's an amazing woman you love her yeah i can imagine yeah, and, yeah, and my role is uh, the programs coordinator so i coordinate all the programs that happen oh, wow. there and i'm also a tour guide so i did travel and tourism in school so ah. i take all the amazing people who come there for safaris oh you are the guide yeah okay then maybe i will go <laughs> <laughs> i've seen too many videos of elephants charging i'm like nah i'm not gonna go but if you're the guide and i trust you yeah okay. you'll be safe okay yeah i'm with it let's do it yeah. so so you travel the world now um deepening your understanding of yourself sharpening up and then bringing stuff back to kenya mm -hmm. and sharing it not even just kenya south africa you, you share stuff all over the continent mm -hmm. that's cool yeah that's cool you had a good life i have a good i have a humble life yeah yeah and i'm 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 happy i'm happy that i i have all these opportunities and these people that are working with me through this journey and yeah I'm blessed, I think. You get to be in a lot of places. What do you What do you really think of the U.S. when you come down here and you're <laughs> roaming around and we're running around? This, oh, I got to take you somewhere. I told you I was going to take oh, you last you're, time. You're supposed to take me to that place that has... Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take you to Skid Row, Tent City. Because you, you, your impression from, from Kenya is that the U.S. is very... Very clean, rich very people, rich. rich houses. Everyone is very well off. I'm going to show you some things that you might not know. 
Yeah. I'd like to see that. Yeah. 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 We'll see it. We'll see it today. So what are, what are some of your other impressions of the States? What's the difference between <laughs> here and back home? Oh, here is like, things are so, I, ca- I like calling it a technological world, you know, mm. like things are all about technology. The roads are perfect, you know. People do things from their homes. Like you don't have to go to work. You just work from your computer yeah. and, you know, you get everything <laughs> done. Um, in Kenya, it's so different. You have to walk. You have to take. And yeah, and people here have their own cars. Like everyone owns a car. Yeah. In Kenya, it's like quarter of the people in Kenya own a car. Yeah, like yeah. everyone is, they use public means and, you know, we use motorbikes and the the roads are not that well up. The kind of dirt road. It's like, it's like, here it's like the city and then Kenya is like a village, you know, like nothing, (laughs) not the same. But the sad thing about the U.S. is there's no, I don't see community in the United States. Yeah. Neighbors don't know neighbors. Mm. No one knows who is next door. They even don't know their names. And that's very sad. In Kenya, everyone knows everyone. Yeah. Like the kids will run around in the neighbors and play and the neighbors will, you know, cook maybe a meal together or come borrow salt or, you know, yeah. water, or, you know, things like that. Like, cook a meal together. Yeah, no, no. In the U.S., it's sad. Like, that's a sad life. I don't know if I want to say. Is it like it everywhere you've been in the U.S.? I know here where I live, it's crazy. This is nonsense. Yeah. Like here. Los Angeles is just ridiculous. Everywhere I've been to the U.S., it's, it's like the same. That. It's the same. No community. The only place that I I tried seeing community and it, you know, he tried showing me community, but it wasn't still there. It's on, it was in Bear Valley, in you know where I was. At least the neighbors know one another, and they yeah. come in, popping in in one yeah. another's homes. But still, it wasn't. It's not real. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. that real. Wow. What do you yeah. like better about here than home? What I like better about here is that. What do I like about the United States? It's full of fun. There's so many things to do. And the other thing I like, there's so many opportunities. Okay. That's very important. There are not many opportunities in Kenya. Yeah. And here there's so many opportunities and people just get to do what they want anytime. Mm. You can just, you know, go hiking, you know, go be in the river and do all that. In Kenya you can do that, but there isn't much water bodies in Kenya, you know. And why are you going even to hike? We hike every day. We walk. (laughs) (laughs) You hike to work every day. (laughs) Yeah, like it's just free and and it's like a a place to go on vacation. I would like to say that Kenya is busy. You just walk, 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 walk. Just busy. Here you want to? Yeah, yeah. You just hang out. You know, eat good food. Oh, tacos. Oh, taco. You went to a taco truck last time. That's right. The food. Oh my god, I love tacos. I want to know how to make them. I'll teach you. You know how to make tacos? Oh, yeah. Yeah, teach me. Sarah's a great cook. Yeah, we should make tacos. Okay, we'll make tacos. Yeah. I know she made something else for you today. She was cooking something. I don't know. She okay. was cooking. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make some tacos, too. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got to come to town. Mm-hmm. Me too. That's great to have you again. And you're always welcome here. You should stay every time. Thank you. Every time you come, yeah. we'll hang out. We'll... But, yeah, today we're going to go see some crazy stuff. You would not imagine was in Los Angeles. Yeah, let's go and see. Yeah, it's kind of love fun. to. So, what's a greet? What's a way that in Kenya you greet each other to say like a what's a goodbye greeting you use? 
goodbye greeting? Like something you say, like a, a, a salutation. If you say goodbye to somebody, you're ending something. What do you say? <laughs> something not, you know, something we not. Say, we just say, asante sana. Asante and then, sana. And then I respond, karibu. Asante like, sana. Thank you so much. And you're welcome. Well, there we go. Asante sana. Karibu. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot about you. I didn't know. Yeah, I'm also learning about you through the podcast too. Oh yeah. So they, everyone's learning a lot about me through the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah, it's good to spend time together again, you know. For we sure. We haven't really connected much during the summit, but Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. We'll spend more time together. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Karibu Asanti. I forgot my word already. <laughs> what was it again? Asante sana. Asante sana. There we go. All right, girl. All right. Thanks for joining us this week, everybody. Uh, after Naomi left here, she flew to Hawaii to attend the Institute for Emerging Visionaries. And I got to talk with her when she got back to Kenya. And I recorded it and everything. I, I, I intended to be able to play it for you. But the audio just wasn't that great coming over uh, the internet like that coming from, from Africa back here. So I didn't want to hurt your ears with all that. But suffice it to say, she had a life-changing experience at the Institute. And she shared with me how to get in contact with the Institute. She gave me some information on how people could access what she was going through. Now, that Institute, by the way, is founded by Vanessa Stone, who also founded the summit that we spoke about at great length in the episode so what i've done is i've taken every organization and institute that was mentioned over the course of this episode and naomi's given me every link to all of their websites and she's given me information about how to reach her if you're interested in following what she's doing her social media connects are in the show notes along with her email and every possible way to get in contact with her if for some reason you're moved by what she's doing uh reach out support her Help her to continue to grow and continue to bring back to Kenya great things that she's picking up here as she travels around and learns from great people. Or, hey, why not support some of the great work these organizations are doing? Reach out to them, support them as well. All of their info is listed in the show notes. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I had a good time with her, and I'm glad you're with us. All right. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.